stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Sleeping Giant Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Marcotte, and I am excited to bring you, as promised, a Vader-centric show, and I would like to start off by saying that the idea for this episode was inspired by two things. First and foremost, my good friend, Matt Power, who recently asked me who would be my favorite Star Wars character and why, and also the release of Marvel's second volume of the Darth Vader comic series. So, some of the ideas that we'll be talking about, um, you're probably familiar with. I'd say most of them you are familiar with. Uh, Some of the ideas hopefully, are some that maybe you haven't thought of before. Then again, maybe you have. Um, I tend to be sort of stuck in an echo chamber of my own musings at times, so you know how that goes. Um, Anyway, I I hope that you enjoy this, and I hope that you do find something in it that uh, maybe you hadn't thought of before or heard of before. Um, And you know what? Either way, we're talking about Darth Vader, so you really can't lose. Hope you guys enjoy it. Some of the super sleuths out there have likely deduced that Vader is in fact my favorite Star Wars character. The fallen Jedi formerly known as Anakin Skywalker and father to the twins Luke and Leia. There is without a doubt a handful of characters that I am fond of and they are quite interesting in their own right but I hold Vader to be the most complex and far more nuanced of those characters. Far more nuanced than he probably appears to be uh, upon first candor. Lucas did always say that Star Wars was, in actuality, supposed to be the story of the rise, fall, and eventual redemption of Anakin Skywalker, and I think that Vader is a character every bit as deserving of our love and sympathy as he is our disdain and fear. On this point, however, I do have to admit that it was difficult to be fearful of Vader for the longest time. Um, You know, growing up watching the films... I always just thought of him as a a super badass and cool-as-hell bad guy, you know. Um, Even the famed Death Star promotions, or I should say infamous Death Star promotions, didn't really do much to rattle me because most of the on-screen Imperial officers were so pompous and haughty anyway, you know. Um, It it was just Darth, bad-as-all, get-out-Vader taking care of business, y'all. That's what we were seeing. So it wasn't until several depictions of Vader in EU stories as sort of unforgiving and brutal towards the small folks, so to speak, and his just complete lack of empathy in the face of suffering that painted a more elaborate picture for me. Um, some of you may recall the Falene genocide that was mentioned in Steve Perry's Shadows of the Empire, and uh, that's just but one example, you know. Um, there, I guess next to that, there was a time when I first encountered uh, a gentleman in a superb Vader uh, costume. That really helped to sort of drive the point home. Um, it was just this huge, just this hulking mountain of a man and, uh, and a magnificent, magnificent costume. Um, and again, that really sort of brought it to a level of, of uh, for me, just how intimidating and fear-inducing Vader was supposed to be. So 
In short, Vader is a bad, bad dude, and you would be right to fear him. So that begs the question, um, what is there to like about this guy who routinely murders his employees, kills kids, and performs genocide on the reg? Uh, I think the answer to that would be nothing, because that's, that's pretty awful. Still, I believe that the interest for such a character grows out of the observation of their journey, or what brought them to this blackened sort of, of life or worldview that they're in or, or experiencing. In the case of Darth Vader, I'd argue that almost everything we needed to know about him was implicit in the original trilogy, which I think is actually true. Um, however, I will remain, uh, well, I will try to remain more objective in the face of what I know is a glaring bias against episodes one through three, and say that the events within Anakin's life during that time, or um, at least the ones that were portrayed on film, did uh, enrich the character, and it made more clear some of the motivations that led to his eventual betrayal and murder at the hands of Darth Vader, as as Obi-Wan once framed it to a uh, a younger Luke Skywalker. At the core, I would say that the choices that Anakin made were born of genuine love and an almost diametrically opposed desire to uphold his oaths and ideals in the face of that love. Suffice it to say that Anakin's coupling with Padme in the midst of galactic civil war was a strain, and when you factor in the dissent uh, amongst the Jedi ranks, you've got a brilliant recipe for conflict and subsequent tragedy. Furthermore, there is the Sith that's posing as the Republic Chancellor. Um, actually, no, I take that back. He is the Republic Chancellor, um, you know, democratically elected. So there you go. Um, he's also the newly minted confidant of Anakin, uh, who, um, who at this point is being manipulated um, by Palpatine, um, who is, uh, who's really pushing those events forward to, to sort of... Um, to bring about the, the full-blown tragedy that is, that is uh, Anakin Skywalker's life. Now, one of the greatest ironies is the self-fulfilling aspect of Anakin's prophetic dreams. Um, as the tension of the Clone Wars um, really starts to mount, Anakin sees one possible future in which Padme is suffering and, and eventually dies, or at least we're led to believe that she dies in this vision. And, and in an effort to fight against the tide of this perceived fate, he more than adequately nourishes and tends to the seeds of doubt and dissension that the Sith Lord Palpatine um, has sown, bringing Anakin's fall from the light and his schism from the Jedi Order into total fruition. Also, you can't really fault the guy, Anakin, for being duped by a being whose ability to deceive and manipulate is the stuff of galactic legend. So, at this point, I am going to do my best to refrain from dumping on the prequels. I am super tempted, but I may save that for another day. I think, though, that we were able to get to the important points um, without delving into the, uh, the storyless, cardboard, two-dimensional character acting, dialogue-murdering shit show that the movies turned out to be, right? Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I just couldn't help myself, I don't think. it. Mm, boy. Um, you know, I gotta admit, I do feel a little ashamed. I do. Uh, not much, but definitely a little microscopic bit. Have you, have you ever heard Mark Hamill talk about the prequels or, um, George Lucas's involvement in the pictures? 
the guy, Mark Hamill, he's just, he's a saint. He is. He's a true class act. And uh, unless you're Donald Trump, I don't think he's ever said a mean-spirited thing about you. Um, he's professional and complimentary and, and seems to focus on the positive aspects of a situation instead of just shitting all over it, um, which is just cool. And that's, uh, that's probably why he's the Jedi Master after all. Uh, Mr. Hamill, you're a mensch, sir, and I wish I could be a lot more like you. That's all. So, uh, I guess, where where was I? Um, uh, what I'm trying to say is that uh, no matter how poor I believe the prequels to be in terms of script, story, acting, direction, and cinematography, we can at least extract a decent idea of what led Anakin Skywalker down the path to the dark side of the Force. For me, at least, it took a little imagination and creativity to feel what I presume Lucas was trying to convey, and uh, what I got out of it was a, a pretty burdensome scene. So when I say it was a bad scene, what I mean is that, you know, in episode one we see a very young Anakin separated from his mother, um, a person with whom most of us have, for better or worse, a pretty significant relationship. Uh, so that was cut short for him. Um, and then shortly thereafter, uh, after leaving Tatooine, I can only assume that, uh, that a young Anakin spent hours, days, and, and years under the rigorous tutelage of Jedi Masters, committing himself to intense mental and physical disciplines in an attempt to ally himself with the Force. And this is, of course, all happening as, for whatever reason, those closest to him have told him that he is unique among his peers and could possibly be the chosen one of some vague yet alluring prophecy. Now, granted, I, I don't recall if they said that to him specifically uh, or directly, but I do know that it wasn't necessarily a secret, so there's not really any way that Anakin didn't uh, didn't catch, uh, catch that word, so to speak. Um, and this, this, of course, is coupled with his prodigious giftedness with the Force. Um, this no doubt led to Anakin's brashness, to his arrogance, traits that as you know, if left unchecked, are traps that lead to the dark side. So it's little wonder that, um, you know, coming around to episode two, it's little wonder that Anakin became frustrated with his teachers and, and being all hopped up on teenage hormones while trying to cope with a serious crush and uh, a budding galactic civil war. It probably wasn't easy for the guy. And uh, what's worse, Anakin's vision of his mother's plight um, that he experiences is actually more than uh, mere premonition, and it spurs Anakin to Tatooine, uh, where he does, in fact, locate his mother and rescue her from uh, her Tuscan captors. But, of course, it's all to no avail. Uh, Shmi Skywalker dies broken in her tormented son's arms, and, and the loss devastates him. It breaks him, and in turn, however briefly, in turn, his rage is such that he cuts down the entire Tuscan village um, down to the last child, and that's pretty black, man. Um, even in the midst of this joke of a movie, that's pretty black, you know. I mean, it's it's all so forgettable. Uh, the prequels, um, they're just, you know, so blah. So these moments of just um, these moments of intensity really do stick out, and that one in particular sticks out and is an important event in Anakin's life. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's not forget too that. Um, as he rejoins uh, Obi-Wan on, uh, I think it's uh, Geonosis, 
uh, in pursuit of, um, you know, the, the looming threat against the galaxy. He, uh, in a battle with um, Count Dooku or Darth Tyrannus, he'll lose the first of, of many limbs that will be replaced by uh, mechanical prosthesis. And, of course, that, that's, that'll just ruin anybody's day. So it's, it's an event that, you know, of course, chucks another hefty log of resentment onto the fire of his anger. So um, Anakin and Padme marry in secret, um, and he goes on continuing to kick ass and take names without losing any more body parts for a while. Um, so he kicks so much ass that as we're, as we're going into episode three, um, this is the third part now, he, uh, in pursuit of General Grievous, who has taken, alleged, allegedly taken um, Palpatine hostage, he's able to simultaneously free Palpatine from Grievous and brutally murder Darth Tyrannus, the Sith responsible for his initial dismemberment. I say murder, quote-unquote, um, because the action was performed at the curious behest of the captured leader of the Republic, Palpatine, who, um, you know, with hardly, we, we have hardly any, any deliberation from, from Anakin. He, when Palpatine tells him to execute uh, Tyrannus, he knows that it's wrong, clearly, and yet he seems compelled to commit what is in every way a war crime, uh, in front of the Chancellor. So um, this appears to make little sense, but I posit that it's here we see how Palpatine exudes a particular influence over Anakin, as well as Anakin's desire for revenge and power over those that have wronged him. Now, we're brought back to Anakin's vision of Padme's death, which ultimately uh, proved to be his undoing. Um, having exposed to Palpatine his fear of death, Palpatine is able to pull the final string that will enslave Anakin's will to his own, making him the puppet that he will remain for the next couple of decades. Again, I sincerely believe that Anakin is aware of the choice between right and wrong. Um, I don't believe that by this point, at least, um, he necessarily feels forced to choose between the two. I feel that that this is an important distinction to make, you see, um, He's aware of the choice, but in a way, the choice has already been made. I, I believe that Anakin laments the fact that he ultimately chooses his bride over brotherhood, the Jedi Council, and the fate of the Republic. But to him, it was never a choice at all. Um, and the the many facets of the scenario are shrouded in mists of gray. And and I expect that this is what makes the Sith so adept at manipulation, because as we know, the truth. And right and wrong are all shaded by our point of view. You know, you, you remember. Um, so hook, line, and sinker, Anakin has been snared by Palpatine, and, and we all know what comes next. Anakin's hatred has been stoked by fear and what I expect to be jealousy of Obi-Wan, and his embrace of the dark side has focused his feelings into a diamond-hard brilliance that blinds him now to both love and friendship. His lack of vision forces his hand against Padme, so the prophecy of her death is literally self-fulfilling, and it forces his blade against his mentor and friend, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm a little surprised that Anakin lost to Obi-Wan, truthfully, but um, I guess reflection over many years has led me to believe that despite Anakin being the better swordsman and more powerful Jedi, his lack of experience with pure rage led to his demise. Um, I suspect there's an art to refining and channeling rage somewhere in the Sith teachings, and our boy Anakin just didn't quite make it to that chapter before 
losing limbs, and then being left to fry on a Mustafarian lake of fire. Now, before we go on, I'd like to ask right now, I'm not trying to be funny, did, um, did Palpatine just have that black death armor uh, sitting around the house before Anakin got himself jacked up? Seriously, I, I always just assumed it was terrible exposition and a terrible movie, but let's think about it for a second. It seems like virtually everything Anakin needed, prosthetic limbs, breathing apparatus, all made to fit, custom chrome and lacquer. The, the implication is, of course, that Palpatine foresaw Anakin's defeat and brutal injuries and had already taken steps to rescue um, and prolong the life of his now tortured and scorched apprentice. Now, if this is true, I'm not shocked. And it demonstrates exactly how much of a bastard Palpatine truly is, and just how badly Anakin got screwed. Um, if this has been answered in the in the expanded universe, and uh, any of you guys have already thought or read about this, definitely let me know. Um, super fan and lifelong Star Wars uh, speculator that I am, I haven't read everything released, stated, or published. So. Definitely let me know. Remember, you guys are the reason I do this every month, so I'd love to hear back from you. Um, you can send me a message on Facebook and Twitter, and you can even um, follow The Sleeping Giant on Instagram. In fact, it's super easy to find us on all three of those platforms because our username is simply SG Cards and the word and toys all across the board. So please send us your thoughts and or scathing criticism, and we will get back to you. Um, in the case of criticism, though, uh, you know, we may actually just revenge haunt your dreams for the next night or two. Either way, it's going to be super fun. So come on, drop us a line. So, yeah, I believe that Vader didn't see any real alternatives for a better life or redemption, um, at, at this point. And I've come to believe, um, that being on the path of the dark side is sort of a, cyclic existence of negative emotions. There's that sort of seething anger and rage that fuels the power, and then what's likely a period of regret and in turn, um, you know, just sort of a, a downward spiral of fear and even loathing of one's actions and self, and that returns to the hate and the anger. So on and on this goes until there isn't anything left but a decrepit Palpatine-like shell of a person. And you know, granted, that shell is, is a veritable powerhouse of dark force energy, but still, it's it's something completely devoid of of light and love. So, so what did Vader have? I I don't think he had anything to interrupt that cycle, and it's hard to say if he ever would have vanquished Palpatine and taken on an apprentice of his own. Um, some of my previous observations suggest that Palpatine purposefully hobbled Vader on account of that eventuality. Um, the turning point for Vader was, of course, learning that he had a son and that that son was also gifted with a tremendous force sensitivity. So now he has something. Um, and it was only natural, I think, for, for Vader to suggest allowing the boy to live as a dark side ally under the pretense of loyalty to Palpatine, you know, upon his, uh, his discovery in the galaxy. I'm sure Vader actually believed what he was saying, too, but... It became quite clear where his heart lay during his first battle with Luke. Um, I love the way that scene unfolded for so many reasons, too, um, in Bespin. Um, it is the scene, of course, 
in the in the carbon freezing chamber and and the scene that includes the iconic paternity revelation um obviously but but my favorite aspect of the scene is that it shows that Vader has no qualms with maiming his own flesh and blood and I think that's probably before he'd had time enough to ruminate on the reality of having a son but more on that in a moment um it's interesting in another way this scene because it suggests that Vader realizes he couldn't overpower Palpatine on his own and that uh and that having an additional uh trained Skywalker could accomplish that task again it seems to me that it was more of a pragmatic approach uh from Vader's perspective and and had little to do with any desire for father son bonding um it probably came as a surprise to Vader that Luke opted to throw himself into an unknown abyss rather than join with him and i believe it was that disappointment that began a chain of emotional events inside of Vader that would prove to be his simultaneous undoing and salvation uh without the win that he assumed was a given the fallen jedi had time to think and reflect Uh, the thought of luke and the concept of having a son was not a burdensome nagging idea but instead a germinating seed of of love and of hope um so some of you may be familiar with author steve perry's shadows of the empire which was for many reasons one of my favorite expanded universe novels it um uh, it must have achieved some success because it spawned a rather sweet video game um on the N64 if uh, if you recall and uh its own line of power of the force action figures some of which I still have actually um at any rate the novel takes place in the six some odd months before empire um or rather uh the months between empire and jedi and uh, again one of the reasons I loved it is because it introduces the concept of how Luke actually prohibits Vader from healing his body through the force Perry shows us a determined and resolute Vader inside of his meditation chamber and uh he's devoid of life support um so in this meditative state he's he's feeding his rage to the point of reversing his injuries of regenerating the scorched and seared tissue of his lungs he makes incredible progress towards this end um but during the meditation the thought of Luke would enter his mind and it would render the entire process a failure that one spark of good was enough to illuminate the darkness that surrounded anakin thereby um proving that his darkness was not complete and that there was still good in him even if only an abstract or fleeting uh emotion there it was still good the conflict between anakin and vader has now been well and truly established and the meeting between Luke and Vader on the sanctuary moon is demonstrative of this Luke surrenders himself to Vader and Vader insists that Anakin is gone that that Luke has wasted his efforts to reach him and uh it's only after Luke is led away by his stormtrooper escort that the weight of his conflicting emotions is evident in Vader's posture um as as Luke is taken away and he's left by himself Vader leans against the railings of the bridge where on his son has just stood and and you could just see it all just kind of you know built upon his shoulders uh weighing him down you know um so it, it, that was an excellent scene by the way in in my mind i think that um 
I think that it was it was very well conveyed to us again um, emotionally and in terms of uh, physical acting that that aspect of the story was conveyed uh, very well and uh, I liked it a lot so it's strange to think now that everything that has happened everything Vader has done everything that Luke and Leia have suffered experienced and accomplished that this is all culminating um, it's culminated and it's being released um, at the end of this picture, and it just explodes Nova-like in the final confrontation between Luke and his father. Again, I quite feel as if Vader was a man who realized he'd painted himself into a corner and he saw no way out of the predicament. It's questionable as to whether or not Vader even wanted to win, and perhaps by goading Luke with the threat of pursuing Leia, he knew that he would push Luke into slaying him. If Vader triumphed, he would have murdered his own son, and the last bit of light remaining within him. So, um, you know, maybe at that point he would have been powerful enough to defeat Palpatine, but it would also mean something else. It would mean that Luke's father would be truly dead, which is something that I think that he had in his mind and heart. I am tempted now to offer my interpretation of the last fight and its expository scenes, but I won't, because to me, one of the reasons it is such an amazing scene is that it is, it's an immaculate example of visual storytelling. You don't need someone to tell you what Luke is thinking or feeling as he looks to his father's severed hand to his own gloved robotic fist. You don't need to be told what Vader is thinking as he looks to his son's writhing form wreathed in forced lightning to the Emperor's hateful visage then back to his tortured son. You don't need to be told what he's thinking. You don't need to be told exactly what's going through his mind as he wordlessly chucks old Palpatine's wrinkled ass down a reactor shaft. You just don't need it. It's all there, and it's beautiful. Um, I guess these days, though, it's not exactly wordless. I was just watching Return of the Jedi um, to kind of you know psych myself up for this this podcast, and I had completely forgotten that that in that scene um, before Vader lifts Palpatine to uh, to throw him, you know, into the, the Death Star reactor core, you know, there's, there it is, there's that, no, which we could all just do without, we could, we could do without it, it wouldn't have, it, it, it oh my god, it's, you know, these reduxes, they're like, they're like a herpetic infection, you, you know, you've probably learned to live with it by now, but it's never gonna go away, and every now and then, it's got to flare up and remind you just how terrible it is. Oh, all right, not to let you fine folks in on any more than you want to know about me, I'm just saying. Just talking about the movies is all. All right, okay. All jokes and poor, poor taste and timing aside, I'm going to take a deep breath. Because we've now come to the final moments of Anakin's life. I make the nominal distinction, too, because as Vader usurped Anakin, Vader in turn died the moment he acted to preserve his son's life. The end of Jedi is crucial to the Skywalker family, uh, Luke in particular, but um, though this rant is about Anakin slash Vader, it's important to note that, that Luke has come full circle, uh, and perhaps as a representative of the, fa- uh, the Skywalker family come full circle, because in true Jungian fashion, he's integrated his shadow 
to, to be more than he had been. He's accepted Vader, and thus he knows himself more fully. Uh, he can now exist fully as a Jedi. That, um, though, ladies and gentle people, is, is certainly the stuff of future podcasts. So, you know, let, let that uh, soak in, marinate in that for a little bit, and, and perhaps we'll come back to that in the future. If there's a more uh, emotional moment in Star Wars than when Luke unmasks his father, I don't know what it is. Uh, well, actually, no, that's absolutely not true. Um, because, of course, there's the dialogue and kiss between Han Solo and Leia just before Solo takes a dip in Cloud City's carbon freezing chamber. So that's true. So maybe of the two, you know, we're, we're going to talk about uh, the end of Jedi. And I don't know, for me, I guess it's just it's a little bit more personal um, because I see or I perceive rather the concept of, of peeling off the quote unquote armor that that keeps you alive, that, uh, you know, that armor that once peeled away, if you survive it, you'll reveal the self with a capital S. And, uh, and then you're existing there in that moment, you know, all of your burdens finally having been lifted. And I expect that Anakin found part of his redemption through Luke's acceptance and forgiveness for a thought. Also, when Anakin says to Luke, you were right about me, tell your sister you were right. I believe this confirms that the inner conflict was real. It was a real thing for Anakin, and, and he's grateful to Luke for having the strength and the love and the fortitude to be his salvation. So in this scene, there wasn't a lot of dialogue between uh, the two of them there, Luke and Anakin, but um, the implications that this very personal moment between them holds for other members of the Skywalker family... Um, you know, it's really, it's barely hinted at. Um, the circle appears to close for them there, and for the longest time, it seemed to close for all of us as well. Alrighty, that wraps up another episode of the Sleeping Giant Podcast. Man, that was a long one. Uh, we actually didn't even get to get into the uh, the new Marvel run, uh, volume two, Darth Vader, which uh, which is a little unfortunate. It ran, the show ran just a little bit longer than I thought it was going to. Um, but truth be told, those first couple of issues really didn't, they really did not give us a whole lot to sink our teeth into and, and really discuss. So I'm hoping that with issue three, we, we have a little bit more to talk about. Now, I know at the end of the show, I did mention that the circle had closed, and it did for, for a very long time. But as we all know, uh, with the release of Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, we see the grandson of Anakin Skywalker, Ben Solo, and uh, we discover his his fall to the dark side and his sort of idolization of, of Darth Vader. So it's interesting to see how uh, that character still influences the, the Skywalker family, and uh, I'm sure that we'll, we'll see how that, that develops. Um, so really looking forward to that. Um, Again, thanks you guys. Uh, thanks to you guys so much for listening. Uh, it's uh, it's always a blast doing these shows, and, and we really appreciate you tuning in. So um, definitely join us next month. Um, we we again should be able to get into that Darth Vader series, as well as a discussion of Stephen King's The Dark Tower, because as of August fourth, I believe. Um, that film will be released in theaters, and, and I will probably have seen it a few times by the time we get around to doing another show. Um, 
really looking forward to that. The Dark Tower is a major, major part of, uh, of my interest and my life, probably. So uh, um, I think that's, uh, that's going to be something to look forward to. But anyway, thanks again, guys, for joining us. And uh, this has been your host. I have been your host, Grayson Marcotte, uh, for the Sleeping Giant Podcast. You all take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.